Amela Ana Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Developer communities play an important role in product development. We learn from each other in developer communities, and we also help shape the development of the product. Bear Douglas, developer advocacy lead at Slack, explains what a developer advocate is. We talked about her experience as a developer advocate at Facebook, Twitter, and Slack. Bear explained how to build and nurture a developer community. I met Bear at DevRel Summit, a professional development day for industry professionals working with developer communities. Bear was the opening keynote at this event, and I highly recommend it if you're interested in this space. To learn more about the topics of the show, sign up for the monthly newsletter by going to thewomenintechshow.com. Thank you for listening. Bear Douglas is a developer advocacy lead at Slack and is joining us today. Bear, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. You studied archaeology, economics, and anthropology at Stanford University. And I saw on your Wikipedia, it says, anthropology is a study of various aspects of humans with past and present societies. So this is an interesting background for somebody that's working in tech, in developer advocacy. What aspects do you study from the tech community as a developer advocate and with this background that you have? Sure. So I think it is important to note that I do have a background in computer science as well. I did minor in college. Oh, okay. So I didn't come in here totally new to tech. It wasn't something where I learned on the job or, you know, went through a postgraduate, you know, professional boot camp or anything. I did start out in a bunch of different roles at startups where the job was to wear many hats. So some of my other skills in those early jobs were appealing. Like uh, my economics minor was interesting for the first startup I worked at, which was a financial reporting startup. They were interested in trying to use tech to help do better stock price prediction and be a financial analysis tool. So the combination of econ and computer science was interesting there. Later on, one of the startups that I worked at was trying to do better brand insights based on information that you could scrape from social media and listen to what customers were saying and try and build models of interaction, like personas of that information. So that's one of the early ways that my anthropology degree was brought to bear on the stuff that I do in tech every day. And it's something where a lot of companies are starting up their own internal user research departments, which, you know, 10 years ago, there weren't that many tech companies that had internal user research groups that were focused on doing the sort of qualitative research in addition to any sort of quantitative research mm -hmm. about user experience, user experience design, um, what you should be building next. And that's something that has changed a whole lot since I've been in the job market as more and more people are seeing the value of understanding user communities, developer communities, and that some of this understanding can definitely be captured in looking at analytics around user behavior, but also you need to talk to people and figure out structured ways of getting that information actionable. And actually in high school, you also studied computer science a lot, right? Yeah, I, I did some computer science coding competitions in high school. It's funny to see that um, nowadays 
high schoolers are expected to go to hackathons where not only are you building something, but it had to be your idea and you have to use third-party APIs. In my day, it was a lot more straightforward. They just gave us some algorithms problems and we coded them and had to turn them in on disks. And it was a lot easier, I think, for us back then. Yeah, and I think part of the difference is also because there are all these really good tools available now for everybody. Like you can just use AWS, host your own website and things like that. And back then, like you said, it was more theoretical and more about the concepts. Yeah, exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about the developer advocate role itself. Sure. How do you define developer advocate? So in general, it's the person within a company that has a platform. So anyone who's making their product available for integration with other products, whose job it is to both educate and inspire the developer community by giving them content that they need to get up and running on that platform, but also be their best internal advocate back to the product teams and the engineering teams. So if people have problems that they're running into or features that they need or um, things that they need fixed, that they have a voice inside the company, somebody who's representing their interests. So it's a two-part role where you're both outbound helping people and teaching people about what already exists and inbound helping them be represented in what should exist or what, what needs to be built next. In what ways is this different than developer evangelist or is it the same thing? It kind of depends. For some people, it's a nomenclature thing. Some people prefer to use the term evangelist. For some people, they prefer to use the term advocate. Phil Legater created this great DevRel-O-Meter, which is a little interactive tool where you can talk about some of the things you do and it tells you whether you're an evangelist, meaning you spend more of your time doing outbound work, or whether you're an advocate, meaning you spend a lot of your time doing inbound work, like getting things fixed or working on developer support, working on um, tooling for developers. And so in some cases, calling yourself an evangelist, if primarily what you're doing is outbound, is more accurate. But a lot of people use the titles interchangeably. And if you're a developer advocate, do you have to be a programmer? Yes, in general. I don't think I have ever met a developer advocate who wasn't. Though at some places, the overlap between outbound developer evangelism and developer marketing is kind of blurry. So in those cases, I think there are some people who maybe don't write code. But for the most part, yes, we are all engineers of some stripe. And you worked on this role in different big companies like Facebook, Twitter, you're currently at Slack. Do you see this role vary between those companies? Yeah, definitely. It depends on what the company's broader goal for the platform is. And your goals as a developer advocate kind of will out from that. So, for example, if you are working on an enterprise platform versus a consumer platform, you may have different goals for what you want to see out of your platform. For example, at Slack, we have something like a thousand apps active on our app directory. And we don't necessarily want that number to get to a million like there are in the app stores. Yeah. Because we want to make sure that what there is is high quality and we're much more concerned with high quality rather than quantity. But in some other platforms where you're trying to go for total numbers because you want platform reach or you want the ability for people anywhere to tap into social data or a graph, that might be more important for you to get lots and lots of integrations. So the work does change based on who your target audience is. And at Slack, for example, 
is this driven by working building a tool for enterprise or for example what you just mentioned about the number of apps the quality is what matters the most is that driven by an enterprise focus or a consumer focus can you say more about what you mean by is it driven by mhm like what we talked about in the app store you don't really care about the number of apps that there are but here in slack you're trying to keep that number low to ensure the quality is good it's not quite like that we're not artificially trying to keep the numbers low to ensure high quality okay but what we are thinking is that we want the apps that come on the store to be useful so we double down on things like content around ui guidelines like what should a user experience look like inside slack in order for it to be a good user experience that's something that matters to us just as much as total numbers of developers or total numbers of apps and to communicate clearly to the developers what works and what doesn't and sort of drive recommendations on that exactly and like we talked about earlier developer advocate is a mixture of engineering and marketing can you give an example of something you worked on where these clearly come together sure anything that we do that is an outbound event is necessarily going to involve some component of marketing like getting people out to a booth is we have to design the swag we have to design our presence at a table if we're hosting an event we, you know there's work to be done getting people in the door spreading the word about events that are happening that is absolutely marketing and then when it comes to the content that's the developer advocacy portion is figuring out what's the right educational component and what's the right inbound form for having the conversations with developers about what it is that they need. So sometimes we have brainstorming sessions like at our recent Slack developer workshop we wanted a better way to get people's input that wasn't just casual conversations that afterward, you know, we we record in a spreadsheet or we talk about in channel. So what we did was we printed a big version of our roadmap which we have public on Trello and then we had discussions with people where we asked them to vote on things on our roadmap that were actually high impact for them and also put stickers on things that were less high impact for them that they would be willing to trade off to see us work on other things and we also gave them the opportunity to write their own Trello cards so that we could have this interactive roadmapping session together and so that you could say is part marketing in that the the production of all of this and finding the right message finding the the audience was all marketing but the act of engaging in that road mapping is what we would call advocacy. Mhm. Mm and like you mentioned you work with developers at this you call them outbound event is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And how do you find these developers? So this is sort of more of the marketing portion of it. How do you find them and invite them and make sure they're engaged. Right. A few ways. One is we find out where people are hanging out online, so maybe that's in bot communities for, for in Slack's case. We look and see if there are general websites that they visit or newsletters that people subscribe to and um we we talk to them there. We look at existing meetup groups, seeing where people are physically getting together and how you can find people there, professional interest groups. Essentially, we try and piggyback off of places where we know that people have already identified themselves so that's online and in person and those developers help you make slack better and build the product according to other people's needs how do you gather feedback from this community 
once you've identified the community? We have lots of different ways. So it depends on how we're communicating with them. If it's in person, we have those conversations face to face and then we do work afterwards to record things that we learned and share them back broadly. And the process of sharing that feedback internally changes company to company. Things that I've seen in the past work really well are structured feedback forms where we say, all right, here's a pattern of different things that we've heard from multiple people at a event. And it all centers around this one feature or this one product. Here are the different user stories that we're hearing from people. And then you can hand that off to the product team and they can understand the full context of what people have been saying about it and why. And then we're not necessarily being prescriptive about a solution, but they have that background context. In other places, it's much more straightforward. Like we've gotten this feature request. We've gotten this number of plus ones for this feature request. Let's just put this into our backlog and plus one it however many times for however many times we heard it. So if we have these conversations with developers online, then it's much the same process. It's just the beginning touch point is not a face-to-face conversation. It's maybe a DM or a conversation inside a channel. So either you're sharing back the full conversation and the written context, or you're summarizing it in some way that's digestible for your product team. And what have you found to be the most effective ways to bond with developers? Is it through the in-person events or through the online community? There's bonding and bonding, right? I think that a lot of the in-person events give you what you might call type one fun. You get to meet up, exchange ideas, and usually they're very positive in tone. Sometimes the things that really bond you with people are digging through hairy support issues. And usually that tends to happen online, like maybe it's back and forth in a thread or you're doing something live on chat. And that's type two fun. That's the kind of thing where it wasn't necessarily fun in the moment, but you walk out feeling a little bit more bonded. So bonding is an interesting term for it because I think that we don't necessarily distinguish between those things enough. But yeah, there's type one fun at events and sometimes type two fun online. I saw that another one of your prior experiences was as a product marketing manager at Strobe Inc. And when Facebook acquired this company, they only acquired software engineers. And what you did is you applied to be a developer advocate and you were one of the first hires in this department. Do you remember what that was like at the time? Uh, Yeah. Facebook's platform team and developer relations team had undergone many iterations and shapes. So I wouldn't say that I was one of the first hires, but in the newly formed developer advocacy team, it was my manager and me and one other person to start. And over the course of about a year, we grew to be about 10 people. And at that time, one of the biggest focuses was on the open graph. It was something that Facebook had released, I think in 2011, and we were trying to get more and more people excited about. So that was one of the things that we were pushing hardest on was improving our documentation, improving our presence in communities around the world, and trying to shift to being a little more community-based. Like, could we start a blog where we would get external contributors? Could we make the whole thing feel a little more open feeling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the feeling in early 2012. And at Slack, let's transition back to Slack. What do you do and the other team of developer advocates to encourage developers to build on top of the chat and productivity app? Well, a few things that we do is try and help people understand the improvement in end user experience. So if you're building an app that helps people track their tasks, just like basic task management 
say, the cost of context switching between talking with a colleague in Slack and then popping out to another tool and doing some work in that tool and then popping back into conversation, those context switching costs can be kind of high. So helping people see the vision of all of your work tools being in one place connected where you're streamlined, efficient, and happier for it is usually the thing that helps get people a little bit excited. Mm -hmm. But it is in some ways a self-selecting bunch because we are talking about productivity for work. We're talking about productivity tools and not just any number of consumer applications. And then as well, when we were one of the early movers in the chatbot space, I think that's something that got people excited for a very specific reason, which is that they thought that conversational UI was the future. Mm -hmm. So it sort of depends on the crowd we're talking to, how we get them excited about it. But we're very lucky to have a very engaged developer community. And also, like you said, if the product is really well done and you start seeing the benefits and you'll happen to be a developer, then you check out the APIs and the things that you can build on because it increases your productivity, right? Yes, exactly. Currently, what parts of the product at Slack are you focused on? So we work inside the platform team. So the platform is its own section in product inside Slack, but it touches pretty much every part of the Slack client and the Slack experience. Um, you can interact with apps through DMs. You can interact with them inside channels. Um, apps take care of things like unfurling content when you post a link. So the platform experience touches every part of the product. So the platform team sort of is the umbrella on top of the apps and the chatbots and things like that? Yes. Okay. Throughout your career as a developer advocate, what are the parts that you have found the most challenging? That's a great question. Gotta, gotta think about that. Is there anything looking back? Well, you come from a very mixed background, computer science, archaeology, economics, anthropology. Yeah, you know, I don't think that it was necessarily my background that's been the thing that's most challenging. Um, the thing that's challenging about being a developer advocate is that you're always working with a group of people, developers, who are by nature a little bit, they pride themselves on being able to see through marketing. And so you have to be genuine, which hopefully isn't tough. Hopefully being genuine is pretty straightforward. But in order to really deliver value, you have to be thinking a lot all the time about, all right, is the content that I'm building, is the event that I'm throwing actually going to help people? Because in the event that it's not, in the event that it's just fluff or for your own ego or you know, for the sake of outreach, the developer community will tell you and they won't necessarily be kind about it either. They'll be very straightforward saying, you know, this event was not useful to me or this content was, I'm not the right target for this content. And they aren't shy about that. So Building positive relationships is, means constantly thinking about whether or not you're doing the right thing by your community. And, you know, ideally, that should be the case no matter what role you're in. You should be bringing that proactive thought all the time. Mm -hmm. But um, the difference is having a very vocal audience who will tell you when you're screwing up, which is a benefit in its way. Yeah, and I think the audience definitely knows when something was developed without them in mind, I think. Sure, yeah. Like we talked earlier through elementary and in high school, you were involved in extracurriculars and programming classes. What I was curious about is the reason why you didn't major in computer science. <laughs> Mostly I just got distracted by the general availability of cool stuff to do in college. 
So um, my first quarter, I think I took linguistics and chemistry and archaeology, mm -hmm. and I tried out for the horse polo team because I was just really excited about the things that were available to me at a collegiate level that just weren't. In high school, we had math and we had science, and yeah. science rotated what it was year over year. It wasn't like you could simultaneously study physics and chemical engineering and you know whatever else all in a lump in astronomy so the thing that brought me back into computer science was that I had to do a engineering distribution class and I didn't get around to that until my junior year because I was busy sampling all these new topics and so I went back to computer science for that and then I remembered how much I liked it so I didn't want to graduate in six or seven years so I figured I would <laughs> took whatever classes I could take in the context of a four-year degree and then sort of see where life took me after that. So that was my reasoning. Mm -hmm. Would it be the same 10 years later? I don't know. <laughs> but that was my reasoning at the time. Yeah, I think you were one of the lucky ones with elementary and high school with that big exposure to science and programming. Yeah, I definitely was. Well, Bear, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you so much for having me. 